following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, family. Ron Geyer back with more End Time Insights. And we are talking about pride. We're talking about sin. And we picked up on pride first. This is week number three, talking about pride. You know, I used to hear, before I got saved, it was the seven deadly sins. I don't know what they are, but uh, I'm sure pride would have been one of them. (laughs) Anyway, I want to read you. I I read this to you before. It was uh, Jonathan Edwards, and he did the uh, sermon, uh, Sinners, in the hands of an angry God. But he he made this uh, short paragraph on pride. He goes, uh, pride is the worst viper that is in one's heart. It is the first sin that ever entered into the universe, and it lies lowest of all in the foundation of the whole building of sin. And it is the most secret, deceitful, and unsearchable in its ways of working of any lust whatsoever. It is ready to mix in with everything, and nothing is so hateful to God and contrary to the Spirit. And it is it is ready to mix in with everything, and nothing is so hateful to God and contrary to the Spirit of the Gospel, or of so dangerous a consequence. And there is no one sin that does so much let in the devil into the hearts of the saints and exposes them to its delusions. But he, he knew what sin was, and he knew the pride, and he knew how dangerous it is. So I want to continue with pride. First uh, John two sixteen. I'm sure you've all heard this scripture at one point. For all everything that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And you know that's what the world has to offer us. The, all the world has to offer is found in lust and more lust and pride. What one feels, right? All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. What one feels. What one sees and the lust of the eyes and what one thinks, the pride of life, is the sum total of all of the world's offerings to mankind. It's these things that define sinful man's existence. Compare that to a life in Christ Jesus. And rather than what one sees, it's what one does. Rather than what the lust of the flesh is, what one feels, it's who is we are. Who are we? We are defined by Christ. And the last one is the pride of life. And that is what man thinks, what man assumes. And yet we have that knowledge. We have the truth. Let me do that again. I'm sure I messed it all up. What the world feels, the church actually is. What the world sees, the church actually does. And what the world thinks, the church actually knows. And what we know is the truth. They're seeking after truth, but they're not going to find it. It's only spiritually discerned. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit of God. He is called the Spirit of Truth. You will never discover truth without the Spirit of God to reveal truth to you. Mark seven twenty one and verse 22. This is really, really nasty. Mark seven twenty one. From within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, Deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. 
There's 13 aspects to sin right there, and they're all associated with the world. In addition to all these 12 other sins mentioned, though, pride is revealed to be self-manufactured in one heart. You got that? It's something that's produced in your heart. Read that again, Ron. Mark seven twenty one. For from within, out of the heart of men. So pride is birthed in the heart of man. In your heart, pride is birthed. The heart is the manufacturing station whereby one's own heart produces all of these evil, wicked actions. It isn't the result of outside stimuli, pride. No, it's not because of things that you see or things that you think or uh, lust of the flesh, things that you desire. Pride comes from within. The heart is not only the muscle of the body, but it is also the manufacturing plant for man's intellect and his actions. Pride is not only the product of an evil, diseased heart, it is the evidence of an evil, diseased heart. Remember, for from within, all those things I read, the 13 aspects of sin that I read, all of them are manufactured within man's heart. Not only shouldn't a Christian have any thoughts of pride, he mustn't have any thoughts of pride. We are born again, spirit-filled sons and daughters of the Most High God. We cannot allow any of these 13 sins to dwell in our hearts. We must flush them out immediately, family. Our heart has already been delivered from such wickedness, though, and now it's up to us to walk in the freedom of that new life. All these, the 13 sins that we read, they're nothing less than the evidence that our hearts are sick. We have sick hearts, family. Repentance is a must. Go through each one of these one by one. Check your heart out. Do your own self-check, right? We're supposed to judge uh, one another, judge ourselves that we would not be judged. Go through each one of these, their demonic manifestations, one by one, and cleanse your heart of sin's disease. You start by recognizing, oh, wow, that's pride, Lord God. I, I did not have the right attitude about that. I, I thought of myself more highly than I ought to. That's pride. Well, and then look at, uh, what is it? well, I doubt if any of you are murderers. I hope not anyway. <laughs> Hallelujah. But, you know, there. let's see, pick another one. Thefts. I don't know if you're stealing. You know, here's one. Let's take stealing to a new level. In Christianity, stealing might be not giving your employer his proper due. Uh, talking to your boyfriend on the phone when you're on your employer's dime. That's sin. That's theft. I mean, you know, when you're a Christian, the standard is raised. Uh, walking out of the store without paying for an object is sin in the natural realm. That's an easy one. But once again, robbing your employer of time due him because you are on the clock is theft. And, you know, you want to look at your heart closely. Lord, am I doing this stuff? Am I missing out? Am I removing myself from your presence by doing things I shouldn't be doing? So the first thing you want to do, you want to recognize sin, whatever it is. Recognize it as sin and then renounce it. What do you mean renounce it? Lord, I will wait for my lunch hour before I talk to my boyfriend on the job. How's that? That's pretty simple to do. So you recognize sin and then you renounce it by a change, a course of action. Then the third thing is you repent. You recognize it was wrong. Father God, I am a sorry. That did not bring glory to your life. And actually, it demeaned my value to my employer, Lord. So please forgive me. And he does. Of course he does. So you recognize it as sin. You renounce it. You repent before the Lord. And then finally, you remove any last vestiges of that sin. You change habits and influences that feed that sin. And you reject any attempt 
uh, by Satan or your own mind, your own thought life to bring that sin back. And then, of course, guard your heart. Most important, don't let it back in. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of your heart are the issues of life. I love the way the easy-to-read version, ERB, I love the way it says it. Above all, be careful with what you think, because your thoughts control your life. I never thought of that that way, but I can see how an important role your thoughts take. I know the standard for Christian thinking is to take every thought captive, right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What are they? Casting down imaginations and every high thing or thought that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God and bringing under captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ Jesus. So once again, your thoughts control your life. We've just looked at the prideful heart and the company that it keeps, huh? We looked at the prideful heart and who it hangs out with. It hangs out with, let's see, it hangs out with uh, evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, and foolishness. So this is stuff that goes into the heart of man that is produced from the heart of man, and we need to make sure that we guard ourselves against doing these things. And you'll notice... Let's see. Um, let's see. Evil thoughts. That's a, that's a, from the heart. That's from the mind. Adulteries. These are real live action adulteries. These are just not mental fantasies. Fornications and murders, thefts. Some of these are actually acts. Some of them are in your thought life. Deceit. The heart of man can be deceived, right? Sin deceives the heart. So you've got to guard your heart against all of these. And like I said, you're doing a checklist every day. You know, when I learned how to drive, they gave you a list of things to do before you get in the car, right? You go outside the car before you drive away from your driveway. Make sure there's nobody behind you, no bicycles, no babies, no baseballs, right? And then you go ahead and you make sure all the lights work. You do a, uh, an inspection. You do a test. You're supposed to be doing all these things before you get in the car every time. I know, nobody does it anymore. But at the end of the day, you should be doing that on a spiritual level. That's how you're guarding your heart. So we want to compare those 13 things and the heart that's sick to a heart that's healthy. And we find that as we read about Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem in Matthew 21, 5. Announce to the people of Jerusalem, your king is coming to you. He is humble and he rides on a donkey. He comes on the colt of a donkey. Jesus uses humility to avoid the world's trappings. No white stallion for Jesus, like the kings of the world. No, no fancy robes, no glorious processions, no trumpets announcing his entrance into the city now. All that's going to come later. Man, what a glorious triumphal entry that's going to be. But for now... His coming is rather regular. It's the most humble picture he could find. He's on a donkey, not even on a horse. No white stallion. He's on a donkey, a mule maybe, you know, the lowliest of animals. So he's riding in, and picture your favorite preacher as he comes into the city to preach to you, right? He's probably jetting in on a multi-million dollar jet. He's probably going to get picked up by the fanciest limousine money can buy or maybe by the nicest car the pastor can afford. And so he's coming in there in a limo maybe. He's taking the best hotel in the area. Not exactly the picture of humility demonstrated by Jesus Christ. Already that preacher has corrupted the gospel message just by the way he enters into the city. Yet we, us, we play to that. 
Why is that? Because we lust after what they have as well. And then they tell us we can have it. Next thing you know, we're no longer seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're lusting after material things. Yeah, we play right into their hands and we give them our money. And we call them men of God because they're rich and they're sharp and they're clothing and everything. They may be successful materialistically, but you've got to be wary of the danger that they bring to your soul. In reality, we wish that that was us, that I was good looking, that I could fly in jets around the world preaching the gospel. Good intentions. But instead of desiring these guys, we should be desiring the man on the donkey. We've been sold a bill of goods, guys. So while keeping pride is the focus of our teaching, I want to bring uh, that contrasting picture of humility into what we're talking about. And that's what we've done with Jesus Christ. We saw how he has a heart of humility. Matthew eighteen four. Whoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child did, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, as a free moral agent, man is free to choose his master, right? He is not free to be without a master, though. Let me say that again. Man is free. God allows man free will to choose who's going to be the master of his heart. It's either going to be Jesus Christ, it's either going to be himself, or it's going to be Satan. He has three options, God, Satan, or himself. The world in which we live strongly leans towards either man or Satan being on the throne of mankind's heart. If we aren't serving Jesus by an intentionally active decision, then we are serving one or the other of the two by default. So you're checking, who's on the throne of my heart? True humility doesn't mean you think less of yourself. It means you think of yourself less. True humility doesn't mean you think less of yourself. It means you think of yourself less. Saints, we got to quit competing with others in our lives. Whether we compete with the world or the body of Christ, that's not the will of God. We're not supposed to be in competition with our fellow man. By that, I mean also that we aren't to be comparing ourselves with them to the houses, the wives that they have, to the business success that they have, how good they look, how well they play sports, how many sales they make. You know, who's got the greater material wealth? No, that's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for your soul. It's not healthy for your heart. That's jealousy. That's envy. We ought to compare ourselves to God. You want to walk in true humility? Compare yourself to God, not Joe down the street. So when you compare yourself to God, it is creator to creation. That's right. This will keep us in a safe place of true biblical humility. Because under no circumstances, at any time, in no way, for any reason, in any place, can I ever even approach any type of equality with the Lord. And that keeps me in my place of humility. He is the potter. I am the clay. We are his creation. That should do it for me. Right? I can't compete with him on anything, in anything. No, no way, no way. Outside of God's love to have fellowship with us, to have a family, we wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for that supernatural divine love. Remember, he's God, you're not. And it sounds simple, but we've placed ourselves on the throne of God and we've taken, we've robbed him. We pictured the Antichrist. What does the Antichrist do during the tribulation? He himself sits on that throne that belongs to Christ. We've done the same thing as the Antichrist. It's the spirit of Antichrist. I submit to you, pride is the spirit of Antichrist. It places the Antichrist on the throne that belongs to Jesus Christ. It places yourself on the throne of your heart that belongs to Jesus Christ as well. That is so good. I just got that as I'm talking to you. So Matthew twenty three twelve, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. 
Here we see how the Lord will deal with man when he puts himself on God's throne within the heart of man. Just as Christ is to sit on the throne of David, representing his lordship over Israel, New Testament man also has a throne, and God has made it within man. And the heart of man is the throne where Jesus is supposed to be seated. If Christ is not on the throne within the heart of every man, then an imposter sits there, whether it's you or Satan, and that imposter needs to be removed. Trouble is, pride forges the chains that keep him there, and they make it quite difficult to get him off. Once more, true repentance is the answer. Yep, God will help you. Check out this coming verse in the Amplified um, Classic. What is it? It's in, uh, is it Matthew? Where am I? It is Matthew twenty three twelve. Whoever exalts himself with haughtiness and empty pride, haughtiness is looking down on others. Whoever exalts himself with haughtiness and empty pride, in my view, as I check myself out, all pride is empty. You know, pride, it's not reality. It removes you from a place of reality. It makes you think of you more highly than you ought to. It makes you see yourself in a way that's not real. That throws off your judgment. We spoke about that last week. That throws off your perception. We talked about that last week. Whoever exalts himself with haughtiness and empty pride shall be humbled, shall be brought low. And whoever humbles himself, whoever has a modest opinion of himself and behaves accordingly shall be raised to honor. I like that phrase. Whoever has a modest opinion of himself and behaves accordingly. It's one thing to think about yourself in a humble manner, but it's another thing to have your behavior correspond to that thought life. Think about this verse. Look at the King James. Man exalts himself. Then look at the end of that verse there. Shall be exalted. So you have man exalting himself, right? Whoever exalts himself. And then at the end shall be exalted. You have God raising him. So you, with exaltation for man is promised. You can counterfeit it and steal it and falsify it by exalting yourself, or you can wait, be patient, walk in humility, and then God will exalt you. We can exalt ourselves and we do it all the time, or we can just wait and let God do it. But the road traveled is what counts. Either way, you're going to be exalted, guys, either by God or by yourself. But if one does it without God, then you are going to be taken down. You are going to be brought low. You will fall. If we wait for God, then his glory and the exaltation he places upon us, it will have a foundation. Remember, pride can exalt you for a season, but without a foundation, that pride will cause you to fall. Humility is the vehicle by which God exalts you. Let me say that again. Humility is the vehicle by which God exalts you. And that honor is supported by humility and will not fall down. Man exalts himself through pride. God exalts man through humility. How does humility work there? Simple. One must have a modest opinion of himself, and here's the key, and act accordingly. Matthew eleven twenty nine. the Amplified, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, following me as my disciple, Jesus is talking, for I am gentle, here comes one of my favorite phrases in the entire Bible, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, renewal, blessed quiet for your souls. Let me read that again and focus on Humble in heart. Uh, you know, this is great. Jesus is describing himself. How often does that happen, right? So Jesus is describing himself. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I want to teach you. I'm your teacher. I'm your Rabboni. I'm going to share some things with you that will help you in your walk with me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, following me as my disciple. This is a call to discipleship. He's telling you, come, be my Peter. 
Be my Paul. Be my James. Come on. Be one of my followers. Be a disciple. Let me start over. Matthew eleven twenty nine in the Amplified. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, following me as my disciple. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, renewal, blessed quiet for your souls. I love that verse. Look at Jesus and how he describes himself. He is encouraging his disciples, or really us, anyone for that matter. Let me guide you. Come, join me in service to others. Let me teach you. That's so good. I love it. Then he tells him what this teacher looks like first. I am gentle. Another word that is used there to describe him is meek. MacArthur talking about meekness says this. Meekness is the opposite of violence and vengeance. The meek person, for example, accepts joyfully the seizing of his property. Chew on that when the tax man comes knocking. Knowing that he has infinite better and more permanent possessions awaiting for him in heaven, Hebrews 10.34. The meek person has died to self, that is good, and he therefore does not worry about injury to himself or about loss, insult, or abuse. The meek person does not defend himself, first of all, because that is his Lord's command and example, and second, because he knows that he does not deserve defending Humble. You know who you are. You're fortunate to be blessed by God to be breathing. Being poor in spirit and having mourned over his great sinfulness, the gentle person stands humbly before God, knowing he has nothing that commends himself. I love that. Humble in heart. Where does your humility live, saints? Is it stuck somewhere in the back of your mind and it's never let out except when it's convenient? Hmm? Or what? When does it show up? This is so important. The humility that man is supposed to have is applicable anytime, anywhere, any place. You know, does your uh, humbleness of heart, does it take a back seat when your pride is challenged? Does pride have your humble heart locked away way down deep? Is it playing defense or is your humble heart out there for all to see? Commentator Worst, W-U-E-S-T, writes that the word for meekness here, it's uh, tapianos, and it's found in early secular documents where it speaks of the Nile River when it was in its low stages. It runs low, and we're supposed to be running low. The word literally means not rising far above the ground. It describes a Christian who follows in the humble and lowly steps of his Lord. That word also represents a person's proper estimate of himself in relation to God. Quit comparing yourself to man. Quit competing with man. That word implies a accurate representation of a person's proper estimate of himself in relation to God and to others as well, but God first. You start off with God. In this sense, Jesus himself, he lived a humble life, depending completely on God and relating appropriately to all around him. There's a lot in there, okay? He, Jesus, he lived a humble life. Why? Because he depended completely on God. When you will depend completely on God, you will remember and be reminded of how you are supposed to be acting in your relationship to those people that God sends in your life. I say this often, and I know who I am. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I am a sinner saved by grace. I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things shall be added unto me. I can go on and on and on in Christ. Outside of Christ... 
I'm, a, I'm trapped in pornography. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a crook. I'm a braggart. I mean, this is who I was. And that is a true statement of who I am. God has changed me. But I acknowledge that it is God who's done the work in me. Therefore, Ron gets no credit. Okay, I'm a Bible teacher now. That's great. Without the Holy Spirit, I'm not. I'm cursing. I'm talking about sports all day. I'm talking about women. Uh, but that's outside of Christ. Inside of Christ, I'm talking about Jesus. But I can't take credit for that because if the Holy Spirit were ever to leave me, i go back to being the way I was. Anyway, I'm out of time. We love you. We'll pick up this next week. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.